Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. If you have not subscribed already, please click on the link in the description and subscribe. Then you get access to lots of bonus episodes on parenting and relationships and sex and everything else that I talk about. And those are going to be a lot of extra information for you and everybody that I know that listens to this podcast has told me that it's awesome. And that is not just because people don't tell you when they think things suck. (laughs) It's because it's the fact. The fact is that it's just awesome and everybody thinks every episode is awesome and that is what I believe. Okay, so anyhow, um, today I'm going to talk about a topic that is close to my heart because I see so many clients who are just in knots of anxiety because of today's child-centered culture, and they are doing what I've called over-parenting their kids. And so today's episode is eight concrete no-bullshit ways to stop over-parenting your kids. It's based on a post that I wrote of the same name, and I will just expand more for you on the bullet points that I cover here. So... As I've talked about over and over, in our society now, parents are just really trapped on this endless hamster wheel. They have to, you know, worry about every aspect of their children's emotional, physical, every sort of development. And on top of it, they are supposed to be, um, you know, doing their work and having a marriage. And it's just like really impossible. So I advocate for a less anxious method of parenting where you're not constantly thinking that you're going to mess your kids up with every wrong word that you say and everything that you do and whatever. So let us turn to number one, okay? So the first one is something that, you know, parents of first kids do. I know I did way too much. And it's talking to your kid when your kid doesn't want to talk. Now, I mean, if once you've had multiple kids, you're like, man, was this stupid or what? They were happy, they were playing, and then my dumb ass goes over and starts a conversation that they don't want to be having, and it's like the stupidest thing possible because then they don't even go back to what they were doing before because you've interrupted them, and then you don't even want to talk to them anymore because you really didn't want to talk to them in the first place, but you, you talk to them out of this deep churning anxiety that if, God forbid, you didn't inquire as to the state of their emotions, they're somehow going to turn out as an axe murderer or estranged from you or both. So here's what this looks like. Your child really is... is happily engaged. They are playing with magnetiles. They're three years old. And instead of making yourself a cup of tea and looking through your phone and just relaxing, you go over and you say, oh, wow, what are you doing? Well, here we go, right? And it says block, right? Oh, are you playing with the blocks? Are you building a tower? Oh, wow, what a great tower. Can mommy play with the tower? Oh, what's mommy going to do? I mean, holy shit. It makes me tired to even remember how tiring this was. And if you really like playing magnetiles and your child is not talking, why don't you go over there and silently go play with some magnetiles? You're going to say, because I don't 
really want to play with magnetiles because I'm a grown ass adult. And I will, I will say good. I will applaud you because that is smart. Good. You're an adult. You don't have to play with magnetiles, especially when your kid's not asking you to. And the only reason that you came over in the first place was because you felt scared that if you let them be on their own, they're going to feel traumatized, lonely, think that you don't love them, et cetera, et cetera. Don't do this. And don't do it when they're older either. So if they are in their room listening to music, let them be in their room listening to music. Okay, I mean, if it's been, they're a teenager and it's been like eight hours, then knock on the door, you know, and then see if, if they want something to eat or if they'd like to talk. But you know what? Let them stay for at least as long as for you to actually relax and do something yourself. And this is what your children doing something should be looked at is like a nice little respite. It should not be looked at as they're alone, they're lonely, they're going to think I don't love them or, oh my God, I should be engaging. No, just take a break yourself. The next one is something that I could do its own podcast on, which is stop praising your kid when they did not do anything worthy of praise. If you constantly feed your child fake praise, they are going to A, end up thinking that you're an idiot, and B, they are not going to trust you because they can tell what fake praise is. And some children are unluckier than the ones that figure this out. They actually think that you're right. So they go through life thinking that the world is supposed to, you know, bow down to them and think they walk on water because you always did. And if you want to think about what kind of spouse this makes them, you'll really feel nauseous because they become unbearable. They think everybody is supposed to feed them constant streams of fake praise the minute that they brush their teeth successfully. And I'm not saying that like the first time a kid brushes their teeth or, you know, the even the first year of toothbrushing, then you can't say good job, you know, sometimes. But what I'm saying is people are saying like, good job brushing your teeth to a kid who's eight years old. Jesus Christ. They should have been brushing their teeth for like close to half a decade now independently. And if they do something that you tell them to do, by the way, unless they do a bang up job of it, don't say good job because it's not a good job. You can say thanks for doing that, but you don't have to say great job because it's not a great job. And this is not honest. All right. So try to stick to honesty and then you will not be over parenting your child in a way that is making them unbearable. In addition to giving you panic attacks because you forgot to say good job about something, which we all know wasn't even a good job. Three, ask your kid questions instead of constantly running in to solve their problems. If they say, you know, oh my God, I forgot my book at school. Don't say, oh my God, I'm getting into the car. Oh my God, you think that the school's still going to be open? Oh my God, I got to get your book. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to also order you another copy on Amazon so we could have one here and maybe even one for grandma's house. No. Why don't you say, oh, well, what are you going to do then if you left your book at school? They'll probably say something reasonable that makes you realize how crazy (laughs) your intended thing response was going to be. Usually, my kids say something like, well, I'll get it tomorrow because the assignment isn't due until Friday. Cool. That makes sense, you know, right? Doesn't it? Or, oh, I guess I don't need that book because, uh, you know, I can do this other thing instead. 
Or they'll say, oh, I um, don't even like that book and I wouldn't have read it anyway. <laughs> like whatever the hell it is. Usually they have a solution. And if they don't have a solution, then this can certainly corroborate my hypothesis that you've been overparenting. Because if they say, oh my God, I left my book at school. What do I do? then I mean, like, shit. Like, you've been telling them what to do so much that they have no idea what to do. You should immediately begin to think deeply about switching your paradigm into something that is more independent for your child so that they can have some independent problem-solving thought, right? So in this, in the case where you've already been over-parenting to the point that your child does not know how to solve a problem, then you can provide some scaffolding, like, huh, I don't know. Uh, well, well, what do you think you could do? And they'll be like, I don't know what to do. It's my book. It's at school. So you could say, well, do you need it? And they'd be like, well, yes, I need my book. And you say, do you need it for tomorrow? Well, I mean, I want it. And you say, well, you know, if, if you just want it and you don't need it for tomorrow for like, you know, a test, then I think it's going to be all right. And that's the kind of thing that that I, I would usually recommend is to think when you need it for before we rush out to get it. And then you leave it there, right? And then the next time, kids are quick learners. The next time the kid may be like, oh, my book's at school, but I don't need it till Friday. So just try it. If you provide just a little bit of education as to how problem solving might go, your child may pick up on it very quick. The next one in terms of the overparenting here is Share unflattering stories from your own life. So many parents are trying to be so perfect in front of their kids. I have no idea why. It doesn't make the kid love you more. It makes the kid think that you're so perfect that you cannot ever understand anything bad that happened to them. So they're, in fact, going to be less close than you, not more close. If the goal is close, 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 which it is for so many parents, then share all the times that you fucked up. And this really helps take you off of a pedestal and it allows your child to see that people survive when bad things happen, you know, and this is not in the realm of overparenting um, as much as the ones where you're doing everything for your child, but it's more like in a way, let your child see you as a human being. And this idea overall can make you less anxious because so many parents are so anxious to say the exact right thing that happened that they forget that the child can learn so much when they mess up, when they mess up in real time. And also when they share stories about messing up, whether it's when they were the kid's age or whether it's something they did at work that day that was wrong or whether it's something that they forgot to get at the store or or whatever. So if you share times that you are less than perfect, then you are in fact building a bridge between you and your child and you're not making yourself in this separate perfect zone where they will later think that you can't possibly understand them. And you're also allowing yourself to deep breathe and to, you know, take yourself off of a pedestal where you're supposed to have the right thing to say all the time. And instead you could find yourself being more human and authentic with your kids. Okay. Number five is be affectionate with your partner. Showing your kids what, in a, what a physically affectionate adult relationship looks like is like one of the major uh, important parts, I think, of being in a marriage and having kids. You know, you, you don't want your child to think that you only hug and kiss and love them. Because what does that seem like? It makes marriage seem loveless and it makes your kid feel like the center of the world, but not in a good way. You, if, if you've never been 
in this uh, hot house over parenting environment, then you don't really know the burden that it is internally for a child to be the parent's primary love object. This is not as good as a parent may um, think it is. And parents have the best of intentions. It was people that grew up lonely and under-parented that swing to the other extreme. But it really, a best-case scenario is usually an in-between point between what you received and what you're trying to give, a more moderate approach. So this means be affectionate with your spouse because that takes some of the pressure off your child to be your only object of affection and it models what a healthy, balanced adult life looks like where there's not just loving children, but there's also loving each other within a relationship. The next one is very pragmatic. Give your child some chores so that you don't have to do so much shit, right? I mean, this isn't just to teach them stuff. Kids know right away when you're patronizing them, you know? Like, oh, why don't you go over here and figure out where to put the um, forks on the table? Like, all right, that takes one second. And then they come back and you are doing literally everything else. They don't feel necessary. There was a, such an interesting study. I wish I could find it to look um, to link you to it, but I, I, I can't. But it was that in the Latino culture, the kids help more and they help more because the parents engage them to help when they are so young <laughs> that American parents think that they should never help because they mess everything up. So they let two and three-year-olds sweep and, and help with food prep and, and clean and all these things, even if the parent has to go do it right after them. And at that age, the child wants so much to be helpful, whereas in the American parents, they like miss that window when the child deeply, deeply wants to be helpful because the child, um, they're telling the child to go play because A, they think that it's kind of useless. They'll have to do whatever the child does after. But usually it's just because they have this idea that the child's job is to play. Well, the child doesn't want to be useless. A toddler age, they usually very much want to actually be helpful. And to, I remember my kids wanted to unload the dishwasher. If you let them from their very earliest age, of wanting to help, if that's when they start to be able to help, then they will genuinely feel valuable authentically because they are um, learning to be genuinely valuable. And by the time they hit five or six, they will really know how to help. And by the time they are a tween, they are real helpful, just like an adult. So, you know, or I mean, not a crazy adult that's super anxious about cleaning, but you know, like a, like a, uh, like a lazy adult. <laughs> so let them have chores. And when they do their chores, let them do them. Don't run in and do them alongside because then they understand that they're kind of useless and the whole exercise seems patronizing. Next one, stop letting your kids stay up as late as you. You need to have alone time. You need to have alone time with your spouse or you need to have alone time with your own self. Either way, having your children awake until the moment that you close your eyes at night is not fair to anybody because you are going to be so stressed and it is likely that you and your partner get no alone time. And this is going to stress the marriage, which thereby stresses the family. Children can be alone they're not going to be upset. Like if you act like, oh no, you'll just be in your room for a little bit. I'm sorry. I'll get you soon. Well, shit. I mean, then that looks like a punishment, but saying like, oh, like we're going upstairs. We're all reading now. Like we're reading in our room and you're going to read in your room. 
Like, that's just how it is. They're like, I don't want to read. You're like, eh, you know, <laughs> like, you know, shit happens. Or, you know, you got a bunch of books there. Pick one. You got a choice. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't really matter what they like to do all the time. This is the more global uh, overarching theme. It doesn't really matter kind of what they like to do. What matters mostly is that the family is a loving, cohesive unit. That means that often individuals don't really like what they get to do at any moment. But if them reading quietly in your room is allows you to decompress and talk to your spouse, then that is an important thing for them to do. And they know how to stare at the wall. Also, they could rearrange their room. They could do whatever they want as long as they're quiet and they're in their room. You prefer they read. If not, you know, you could bring a horse to water, etc. But, I mean, if parents say that this is they can't let the kid have so much extra screen time, they, they don't have to have the screen time. They could just be in their room with books and or they could figure out how to draw or they could put all their stuffed animals into a different order or whatever kids did in all of the many years that we all remember before the iPad, right? And the last one is to talk yourself up. Talk positively about yourself. Talk about your job. Talk about you being like an attractive, uh, sociable or not, you could be an introvert, that's cool too, me too. Um, but talk about being like a, a successful, adept, competent adult. And when you have a victory, share it. You know, like some people are so self-deprecating that they... Um, they they do not inspire confidence in their kids. You know, you want to tell your kid, listen, you have my DNA. I'm pretty cool. Then you're going to end up pretty good. You know, I'm a good person. I try hard. I got this job or I take care of the family or whatever. And, you know, you are part of me and you are my genes and you will be pretty good too. You know, and a confident parent really cannot be overstated. Adult children of narcissists often go the other direction and they become so self-deprecating that the kid ends up treating them like shit, which is you could refer back to my podcast on don't treat let your child treat you like garbage. But there is a middle ground, which is called being a confident adult. Share your victories, tell them what you do well. Um, I will link to my post about it's important to talk to your kid about your work. So make yourself look like a confident, happy adult. And if that's very hard for you because you're not one, then you know what I always say, which is you deserve then to live the best life you can. So try to get yourself into counseling where you can work on your self-esteem issues such that you can be a good parent, but also so that you can be a happy person because you're a person too. And so that's kind of the subtitle of this episode is you're a person too. You know, you're not just a parent. You don't live and die based on whether your kids have the book they need for school or whether they don't want to read a book or blah, 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 whatever. You know, as long as you are providing a happy home overall, then you should be proud of yourself and you can stop being super anxious about these tiny little details about whether they're alone for 30 seconds or for 30 minutes or they're not happy with X or they're not happy with Y because you will turn yourself inside out trying to make your kids endlessly happy and you will end up being increasingly unhappy and feel depressed and feel anxious and that is no life for you and it's no role model for your kids. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Share it with your partner if you think that it could provoke any interesting discussions about parenting. And remember to subscribe for all my bonus content and I will talk to everybody soon.